Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. We've been in this series looking at the kingdom of God, what it means to be citizens in God's kingdom, and kind of where we've come. We've we've talked about God who is the creator and he is sovereign over all things, that we live in a world that really does consist of both the natural and the supernatural that is at constant war with each other. That we serve a king who is above all and is currently reigning over all the cosmos. We have a book, the Bible, which is the word of God and we submit to it and we obey it. We've talked about our loyalty, the tension we face, and the weapons that we are called to take up and fight with and the weapons we are called not to touch. And we've walked through these things up to this point. And, and the problem that, that, that we have as individuals and even corporately is that, that we still don't live necessarily, we don't live consistently in a way that reflects all of these things as being true. We tend to have, a, we, we have a tendency to build our kingdoms and master our own destiny, adding Jesus in varying degrees to the mix. So if we truly are citizens of God's kingdom, then our lives have to wholeheartedly be in on the mission of the kingdom. And, and today, uh, what, we are, what we're kind of starting, we're gonna spend the next three weeks unpacking the mission of a kingdom citizen, what it means to be on mission with God, what it means to be a person who's a citizen of God's kingdom, carrying out God's mission. And really, I think thematically, and, and as you look at the Old Testament, the New Testament, what Jesus said, what the, the, the gospel writers and, and the apostles kind of uh, fleshed out in the New Testament, is that really there, there's kind of a threefold mission that God has placed his people on. And, and it's expressed, I think, really clearly in Matthew 28 by Jesus, where Jesus says in verse 18, says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. And and so really what Jesus does, he says basically three things that we need to remember to his, his disciples as he sets them on mission. First, he talks about making disciples and, and, and really what that has to do is, is, is going from, from a person who doesn't know Christ to a person who not only knows Christ, but who images Jesus, who images God to the world around them. And so this morning, we're actually gonna talk about this first part, which I would call imaging over freedom, that our mission is to accurately represent God's heart and his holiness to the world he wants to reconcile to himself. And the next week, Travis is actually gonna talk about the part that Jesus says, teach them to obey, which has to do with our transformation over uh, our, our conformation. Like what Paul says, be 
be transformed, not conformed to the patterns of this world, that our mission is to become like Jesus even at the expense of what we may consider our own fulfillment. And then the the third week, uh, we'll talk about what Jesus says. When he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, that that you he refers to is not that he'll be with you as an individual, although it does mean that, but when he says, I will be with you, that's a plural you. That is you as in the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, currently the church of Jesus Christ. And, and so it is this idea of, of unity over autonomy as mission. In fact, our mission, as, as Jesus says very clearly, and, and we'll get to this, can only be accomplished through the genuine unity of the body of Christ. And, 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 so, and so we'll be unpacking that mission in the next three weeks of a kingdom citizen. And so this morning, if you'll bear with me a little bit, some of you may not be aware of this history, some of you may, but in the year 19 BBY, that was the year that Order 66 was executed um, in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, it was the year when the inhibitor chips that were implanted uh, in the clones uh, went off and uh, caused the clones to turn on their Jedi masters and kill all the Jedi. Um, I mean, I, I get that some of you may not be familiar with this galaxy far away, but some of us are very familiar with it and very into it. And, and so basically what, what happened was good soldiers followed orders. And, and so the, the clones had no ability not to do what they were uh, told to do by their chips. And so they, they had the freedom to turn on the Jedi masters and kill them. They didn't have the freedom to keep doing what they were doing, which was being loyal to their Jedi masters. So it's interesting because the clones were actually free only to carry out their orders. And as citizens in the kingdom of God, we talk about our freedom kind of mistakenly. We talk about our freedom in a way that our culture defines freedom rather than what God, the context that God uses freedom in. Once we are in Christ, we have the freedom to carry out the mission that God defines in his kingdom. And, and, and so this morning, we're going to kind of unpack this idea of, of imaging God. That's part of what the mission that we are on as kingdom citizens is to image God and his reconciliation with the lost over and sometimes even at the expense of our freedom that we would define as our freedom. And, and so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter six. I'm actually gonna start by, by reading the chapter. <clears throat> and, and, so, and so Paul begins to write this after he's just talked about the incredible, unbelievable grace of God and that how we're no longer under the law. And so in, in, in chapter six, verse one, Paul begins by saying this. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, 
By the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, you and I must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. What then are we to sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as you once were presented Once you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now you present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For you were once slaves of sin. When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it ends in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All people are by their original nature slaves to sin, enslaved to sin, not able to do what they want, but do what sin compels them to do. Paul says in verse 20, he says, for for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You see, we we live by this false notion that we are self-determining individuals. And here's, the, here's what the Bible says, and we have to wrap our heads around it. We are not neutral, self-determining creatures making decisions between sin and righteousness. Because if the Holy Spirit is not dwelling in you, then, then everything you do is for your benefit and for your kingdom. We were at one time free from righteousness. Notice, notice what he says. He says, 
when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, righteousness had no real power or attraction to us. A person who is a slave to sin, righteousness is, is not something that they have any interest in doing. Now, righteousness is different than good because a, a person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit can do good things, but they do it for themselves. Can other people benefit from the good that I do for myself? Absolutely. But it's not righteousness. Righteousness is an entirely different thing. And, and, and so, so there, there's that reality. And so it says that God alone delivers us from this enslavement to sin. We are actually acted upon, not the action takers. Notice that in verse 22, he says, having been freed from sin slavery. And then it says, uh, having, been, having become slaves to God. Those two things are not our doing. Being freed from slavery and having become slaves to God are things that are acted upon us. We are passive in that process. I mean, there's a part that we play, but God frees us and then God, in the words of Paul, enslaves us. You see, there are only two categories for human beings and only two. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. There's not just... Free, to, free, free on your own. It's either slave to sin or slave to God. There are no neutral people in all of human history, past, present, and future. And now what's interesting is, is, that, is that without deliverance from sin slavery and having a new master, we will not inherit eternal life. You see, if you say, well, you know, I, I, I'm not a slave to sin. I actually am my own master. You're actually a slave to sin <laughs> because you are sinful. The only other option from that is to be a slave to God, be, be one who is under their master, God. And, 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 and so, and so one, of, one of the things is that he says, sin, slavery leads to death and slavery to God leads to eternal life. And so those are the two options. We have death or, or life. Now, it's interesting that, that Paul has this slavery metaphor as he talks. And my, my, the question that kind of has to come up, I think, in our minds is, is anyone uncomfortable with the slavery metaphor? Because we probably should be at least mildly uncomfortable with that. Because I would say that if I were to ask the question, does everyone in this room agree that slavery is bad? I would hope everyone would agree with that. And if you don't, or you're like, well, I don't know, then just stay after a little bit. And I'd love to have a conversation with you as to what's wrong with your thinking. <laughs> and, and, and so he uses this metaphor, and I think it should bother us to some degree, especially with, with the history that we know of and we, we recognize of the transatlantic slave trade and all the dev devastating consequences that have happened from that. The most demeaning kind of slavery. In fact, yesterday, June 19th, was when we recognize the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation, at least in its written form, but it takes a long time for people's wills and behavior and view of other people to change, doesn't it? because our own biases are, are, are very deeply rooted in us. 
And so, it's so it kind of should bother us that there's this, this ease of a slavery metaphor being given in scripture. And you know what? Frankly, it bothered Paul too. <laughs> Notice that in, in verse 18 and 22, Paul actually talks about this idea of being slaves to sin or being slaves to God. But in verse 19, it's, it's almost like he, he gives a, 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 like a, a, an apology. Notice what he says in verse 19. He says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. And that's just like the nice Paul way. Like Paul's in a good mood of saying, I am really dumbing this down because you're not gonna get it. And it's not even really that great of metaphor, but it communicates the significance of your life either being in bondage to sin or in bondage to God. He, 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 says, he says, look, I, I'm, I'm using this metaphor because it's, it's actually not that great, but it's the best we have. There, there's a weakness and finiteness for language that we use to describe God's great and glorious and complex reality. It's just hard. Words are hard to come by. We have to settle for words and images that are mildly helpful and mildly misleading. For example, the Trinity. Last week, I actually talked about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I didn't even bother to go in to try and explain, use a metaphor of how that might be understood because all the metaphors that we use are actually not great metaphors for the Trinity because words escape us to really accurately describe the nature of the Trinity. I mean, people have used things like an egg. It's got a shell and a yolk and a, and a white part and and. and but it's not really like that because, because those are actually, this doesn't work. And, or like states of water, uh, that could describe the Trinity, but that also doesn't really work either. So last week I, I didn't even try, but Paul knows that aspects of slavery cannot be attributed to our righteousness and to God. In fact, in John 15, 15, Jesus talks to his disciples and he said, I no long, longer refer to you as slaves or servants, but I refer to you as friends. So, so we understand from scripture that there are things in this metaphor that fall short and, and it's not in any way or form justifying any kind of slavery. But it is talking about a state of being that we are as humans. And so here's the point. Our wills, your will, my will, no one has will that is solely self-determinant. Our wills are enslaved. They're either bound to do sin or bound to do righteousness. Our hearts are either so corrupt or so renewed in Christ that we see sin or righteousness as compelling. Without the Holy Spirit, without forgiveness of sins, we see sin as compelling. Sin makes a compelling case to do it. But when we are in Christ, righteousness makes a compelling case. You see, we are enslaved to sin or to God in that sense. When we surrender our sin and move to being in Christ, our wills are the equivalent of being enslaved in righteousness to God. That's what Paul's trying to communicate. And I think Paul, what, what the metaphor is trying to do is break the back of our misconception of freedom because we tend to see ourselves as free 
from sin to do what we work out as mutually beneficial with God, right? Because really not very, I can't imagine anyone really seeing themselves or saying, you know what, I am absolutely in slavery to God and I'm not upset about it because I know he's good and I trust him. I think we tend to see ourselves as more like in a constant conversation with God about how we should do things. And actually, that type of mindset is biblically categorized as sin. A slave would not bargain with their master, would they? Out of fear, out of all kinds of things. Yet we constantly bargain with God as to how to do things, how to live, how to act, what to say. And, 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 and so there's this reality that, that we are either enslaved to sin or enslaved to righteousness, enslaved to God. And, 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 so, and so we have certain freedoms that that means as a slave to God that we can do. But it doesn't mean we have free reign of what we as, let's say, Americans would describe as freedom. You see, I think, I think it's really difficult. There's a difficulty that comes with living in a society that is rampant with freedoms. I think it, it's different, and I don't know if easier, but I think there's, it is easier to understand our position with God if we lived in a nation that was oppressive and gave its people very few freedoms. You know why? Because we would simply recognize the freedoms God gives us and there wouldn't be any competing freedoms that the government says that they're giving us. Like when our government says we have freedom of speech, where in the Bible can you find a place that God says you have freedom of speech? You can't because it doesn't exist. You don't have the freedom to say anything that you wanna say. America is much more liberal with the freedom of speech than the Bible is. In fact, much of the Bible talks about what not to say. <laughs> and so I think for me and, and, and for us, it's difficult because we live in a place where we have lots of freedoms and oftentimes those freedoms run into the freedoms that God tells us we have and they run in tension with each other. I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, Paul gives us, I think, a, a, really, a really great kind of list of really what our freedoms are when we are a slave to God. When we are a slave to sin, we are free to do everything that sin permits. When we are a slave to God, we are free to do what God calls us to do. In verse 11, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded that 
we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for whose sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God's purpose in history is to reconcile the world to himself. God's purpose is to reconcile every man, woman, and child to himself. In other words, to reestablish his relationship with us. To forgive our sins, to make us whole, and to bring us from slavery to sin to slavery to God. And so within that, we have certain freedoms that he's given us that Paul actually talks about in here. So number one, we, I have the freedom to pursue others generated by a healthy fear of God. Paul says this, he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We have the freedom to persuade others. We have the freedom to tell others, to image others, image God to others. We have that freedom. God gives us that freedom. As slaves to God, we have the freedom to go out and pursue and persuade others that Jesus can offer them forgiveness, that Jesus wants to reconcile them with God the Father, that God wants to free them from sin and bring them into his family, which means complete loyalty to Jesus. You see, Paul lives his life to persuade all people about the truth of the gospel. And he executes that freedom. Here's a question as we walk through this. When was the last time you used your freedom to persuade others about the fact that God wants to reconcile them to himself? And, and here's, here's a little bit of a difference. I'm not asking you when was the last time you persuaded others that they're under condemnation. Because that's only half of it. When was the last time you tried to persuade someone that God wants to reconcile with them? Because I think we've talked about a lot of other freedoms that we have, more so than the freedom to pursue and persuade others. The second freedom that God gives us that we have to carry out missionally is I have the freedom to be controlled by the love of Christ and the freedom to obey his word. Isn't that kind of funny, the words involved in that? I have the freedom to be controlled by the love of Christ and I have the freedom to obey God's word. Listen to what he says in 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. 
Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. And those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul's motivated by his, motivated by his accountability based in a healthy fear of God and motivated by his knowledge and experience of the great love of Christ, that he is controlled by the love of Christ. Let me ask you this. We, we experience this idea of being controlled by love. When was the, has anyone in the recent past done something for someone else, not because it benefited you, not because you wanted to do it, but because you love that person? Anyone done that? That's being controlled by love. And what Paul is saying is that we, are, we have the freedom to be controlled by Christ's love. The deep love that Christ has for us controls us. It is, it is synonymous with a, a, an overwhelming, deep gratitude for what God has done for us. We then are controlled by that gratitude and love. And that we are also free to obey his word. Here's what's interesting. Because Paul says this in Romans. He said that, again, while in slavery to sin, you are not bound to Righteousness. Do you realize that the person who does not have the Holy Spirit, who's not been forgiven and redeemed by Jesus, does not have the freedom to obey God's word? Why is it that we are so judgmental and angry and frustrated with people who clearly don't know Jesus and they are completely disobeying God's word. Do you realize that they don't have the freedom to obey God's word? Because they are slaves to sin. And so maybe instead of being angry with them and, and, and telling them how bad they are, here, here's the thing, it's, it's, it, it, would be as, it would be as moronic to go to a person in, 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 in America's past who is a slave on a plantation and telling that person because he or she is a slave, how bad they are. And how, how we would expect them to do better, but they're doing what their master has them doing because they are afraid of the consequences of what will happen if they don't obey their master. Anyone in their right mind in that moment would do what they can within their power, maybe even to self-sacrifice to bring that person freedom. Yet how often do we, when we are confronted with a person who's not been reconciled to God, who's doing all of these terrible things, how often do we do everything we can to bring that person freedom from that slavery to sin, even if it's self-sacrificing? We do a lot of condemning of the world's behavior, but how often do we speak of the reconciliation God wants for them? We have the freedom to be controlled by the love of Christ and the freedom to obey his word. And I think maybe right now today we need a love crusade. Yeah, get on the love crusade. Nah, 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 nah. Anyway, you can tell what I heard this week if you're familiar with that at all. (laughs) 
Third thing we have. I have the freedom to to image reconciliation with God to the world. I have the freedom to reflect the reconciliation that God wants for the world around me. I have a freedom to image that to people. No matter what somebody says, I have the freedom to image that to people. He says in verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry, part of our mission. That is in Christ, God was reconciled. Notice what he says. God, this is our mission. This is our ministry of reconciliation. Reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. God committed to us the ministry of reconciliation, repentance, surrender, and slavery to God. Our lives must appeal to others in order that they may be reconciled to God as well. God gives us the freedom to image reconciliation to the world. In the last year, how many of us have truly imaged reconciliation to the world? Because guess what? No government has said that we have, 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 have modifications or guidelines on imaging Jesus to the world. We have the freedom to image people accurate, image God accurately to the people around us. And no one can take that freedom away. See, we are free and actually commanded to image God in a way that is accurately communicating his heart and his holiness to humankind. If what I say, if what I do, if what I post does not accurately image God's heart for people and his holiness, then I am choosing to ignore the freedom that God calls me to. But how many of us have put to to the side our freedom to image God's reconciliation for some other freedoms that we are maybe more presently passionate about? You see, that is our mission and the extent that our freedom reaches. We are not free for the sake of ourselves, but we are free to show people God Almighty. We are free to show people God's heart and his holiness. And so so maybe some things to think about. Today, self-identifying is really significant. You, you pretty much can't go anywhere without at some point hearing or seeing something about um, how you self-identify. I guess maybe something to think about, do you self-identify as a slave to God? Because if not, and you see yourself as a free man or free woman, then I think that does raise the question, are you a citizen of God's kingdom? Are you saved? Because remember, there's only two categories, a slave to sin or a slave to God. 
Do you self-identify as a slave to God? Are you living in a way that communicates that God desires to be reconciled to those who are far from him? Or are those who are far from God, are they under the impression when you speak to them or you're around them that you would prefer that they were further away from you? Or when they're around you, do they feel like you are there to do something for them that is significant and life-changing? in that they actually want what they see in you. You see, we need to stop asking, am I right or am I wrong? And we need to start asking, does this put me on the cross? And if it does, then you are exactly where God wants you. Stop asking, am I right or am I wrong? Ask yourself, does this current moment put me on the cross? And if it does, that's exactly where God wants you to be. Because Jesus says, anyone who would want to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Here's what I would challenge you to do this week. When you wake up each morning, begin to make a habit of of asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, how can I live out reconciliation to God for people I encounter today? How can I image God, the gospel, for the people I run into? How can I do that? Because I'm an actually, I'm a slave to God. I'm an ambassador of reconciliation. I live, and part of my mission is the ministry of reconciliation that God has entrusted to me to carry that out for those who are slaves to sin. And you see, if we don't have this mindset, we are in overt rebellion to the kingdom of God. Our mission, what God has called us to, to make disciples, in order to make disciples and baptize them, it means we need to be reconciling people to God in Christ. And you have the freedom to reconcile people. Yet we get so focused on all the other things that we feel connected to. Because I think we tend to live in a space where we see ourselves as autonomous and in cooperation with God, not in slavery to righteousness. We've got to change how we think in order to actually pursue the mission that God has us on. Because that changes everything. I'm gonna pray for us. And after I pray, if you'd like prayer, the prayer team will be coming down here at the front to pray with you. And if you're with us online and you need prayer this morning, you are welcome to to text CP prayer at 209-521-0181. But I wanna pray for us. And as I close in prayer, I wanna repeat what what I prayed at the beginning that as we walk out of here today, that the only path for us would be obedience. And that if we choose not to take that path of obedience, that we will just not move forward at all. Because there's a world that needs to be reconciled. A world 
that is literally going to hell. Not hell in the usage of, it's hard for me, but a literal hell that exists. And we are God's ministry of reconciliation. His ministers on mission of reconciliation to image his heart and his holiness to humanity. Jesus, we come before you this morning and I thank you again for what you've done. I thank you that you made it possible for us to no longer be enslaved to our sin and to be entrusted to a God who is good and who is holy, who is just, who is merciful, who is gracious. I pray that we would change our mentality and that that change mentality would result in being being crazy about reconciliation. God, I pray that the passion that we speak with about abortion, the passion with which we speak with about the sex slave trade would be the same passion we speak about reconciling those who are in slavery to sin, who are not under the bound, bonds of righteousness, that we would pursue them. That we would change the way we think. That we would make the slave to sin just as important as the unborn baby. And that that would be seen in our behavior and our actions. Father, I pray that we would not fail the mission that you have called us into. Father, I pray that we would walk out of here today pursuing obedience to your word because we are free to obey your word. Thank you for dying to give me the freedom to obey. Thank you for dying to give me the freedom to be controlled by the love of Christ. That I can love those who are unlovable. That I can obey denying myself and taking up my cross as I follow Jesus. So I pray that you would empower us, Holy Spirit. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.